the voice is higher and raspier after two services. I get to sing those songs twice, and you know where you're going by the second service for sure, and we're letting it go. Gospel 101, we are in week eight of eight. We're about done, and we've been telling the story of God and his friends, that he is so awesome, created the world, created us in his image, gave us his laws and his rules and commands and said, this is how you're to walk and love and glorify and enjoy me. Gave us his contract that kind of said, now obey me and be holy and we're just going to live in blessed peace forever. But if you're unholy, it's not going to go well with you. And then Adam and Eve, our first parents, started the ball rolling in the wrong direction. Sin comes as a result of them their actions, their thoughts, their desires passed down to us and we've been living in sin and we deserve nothing but God's wrath and destruction as the first vow was made. But that's not it. Jesus Christ loves sinners. And the gospel is not the story of how we partner with God to go to heaven. It's not the story of how we partner with God to enjoy our best life now. The gospel is only the story of Jesus Christ and what he's done for us. Jesus Christ is the one who lived the life for us and earned our righteousness so he could give it to us and then died on the cross so he could take our sin from us so there would not be an ounce of sin to pay for ever again. How do we get that gift? By faith, believing in his work, turning from our own sin and turning from our own self-righteousness and just keep repenting and turning and believing in Him. And from that point on, who are we? We know our identity because the Scripture tells us. Regardless of what the world says, we're pretty special people in the eyes of God. Not because of ourselves, but because of Jesus Christ. We are saints who keep sinning and keep suffering. But we're soldiers We fight on. We keep going. We're learning to hate the devil and the worldly, ungodly ways of doing things in our own flesh. Yeah, we're learning to hate, and we're going to war, and I could call it just worship, as we are honoring God. Waiting for what? The final countdown. Here it is. Eschatology is the fancy word. End times. What? is awaiting us around the bend. Now, some of our friends last year aren't here now. They're already on the other side. And some of you, I don't know who, I'm not a prophet and I don't wish this necessarily, have already celebrated your last Christmas. This may be the day the Lord takes you home in a car crash or disease comes knocking at your door or some terrorist bomb blows us up. Some voted in a primary yesterday and then will vote again in November and this will be your last president you ever vote for. We have loved ones who are passing on. A family in this room has a mother in hospice. Another family in this room has a brother in hospice right now. That day's coming for all of us. 
So what ought we to expect? I got good news for you. The story ends in a fantastic way for those who are in Jesus Christ. That's why I love those songs, because I know where this sermon's going, and I just want to sing them all again at the end, but we got to get you home sometime. Paradise. And so where am I going to preach from? The book of the Bible is 1 Thessalonians. Let's go there. And today's sermon is not going to have a structured outline. I'm going to read a text to help you understand it. Read a text, help you understand it. Read a text. I just want to make you, at the end of the sermon, be encouraged enough to say, for me to live is Christ. And for me to die or my loved ones to die, that's even better. That's gain. Can we get there? Maybe the Holy Spirit will let us get there. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 13. But we do not want you to be uninformed, brothers, about those who are asleep, that you may not grieve as others do who have no hope. For since we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so through Jesus, God will bring with him those who have fallen asleep. For this we declare to you by a word from the Lord, that we who are alive, who are left until the coming of the Lord, will not precede those who have fallen asleep. Paul planted the church in Thessalonica, had to go because of persecution, is in Corinth, and here's words coming that your brothers and sisters back in Thessalonica have some questions. They got some end times questions, some last questions. As a matter of fact, they're grieving like people who have no hope. Why? Some thought maybe we've missed it. Jesus said he was coming back again, and it's been some years and he hasn't. Have we missed it? But others are grieving, and this is probably where I land, that their loved ones have now died and have been placed in the ground. And therefore, that all happened before Jesus Christ came again. So therefore, are they going to miss this glorious second coming and rapture and resurrection and the day of the Lord and standing before the throne and all? Are they going to miss it? They're grieving. Paul writes to them. Paul knows they've already heard great teaching from the Old Testament scriptures, from Jesus, from many of the disciples, and from himself. And Paul says, brothers, you're not supposed to be grieving like those people who don't have hope. I mean, the rest of the world clutches on to this life, and when this life is, is being pulled from their hands, they grip even harder because they can't bear to let go. But Christians are just different because of what they think. We really do believe that Christians sleep. He uses language from the Old Testament and the New Testament. Uh, yeah, they're dead, but he likes to use the idea of sleeping because when someone's asleep, they awaken. When someone's asleep, they're gaining strength for the next day. They're actually resting. And so he's looking, saying, I want to make sure you understand about your brothers and your sisters who are in Christ, who are not just dead. They're, they're asleep. We believe that Jesus died. We believe that Jesus rose from the grave and we believe that the same Bible that says he died and he rose from the grave says that he will return. He is coming back. Now, he's not coming back by himself, but he is coming back. It says in John 14, Jesus said, 
I go to prepare a place for you, and then I will come again and take you to myself. In Acts 1, the angels look at the disciples and say, why do you keep looking up into heaven? This same Jesus who ascended with the cloud, he's coming back again one day. But Jesus is not coming back by himself. Look at the text. For we believe that Jesus died, rose again, and he will bring back with him those who have what? Fallen asleep. What does that mean? With Jesus right now are those who have fallen asleep. Our loved ones who are no longer here, they are in his immediate presence. Our loved ones who will not be here this time next year, they're, if they're in Christ, they're getting ready to be in his immediate presence. Jesus looked at the thief on the cross and said, today you will be with me in paradise, which is the Persian word for a garden enclosure, my courtyard. In John, Jesus said, I'm the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, he lives. Paul writes, we are of good courage and we would rather be away from the body and at home with the Lord. In Philippians, he writes, for me to live is Christ, to die is gain. And my desire is to depart and be with Christ, for that is far better. Romans says that neither death nor life will ever separate you from God. There's no time lapse there. Eric Alexander, a famous Scottish preacher, writes, so therefore Christians should never talk about sudden death. For us, it's sudden glory. You get graduated to where the best life is. It was then that Churchill, when he died, set up his own funeral arrangements. And as they marched down the street, they played taps. And immediately as the last sound of taps was played, the band kicked it into the revelry because he really believed that with the passing of one life, the abundant eternal life was enjoyed more than ever before. That's how I want to go. I've already told my family that when I die, I want to have a family, private, graveside something. Let's just be honorable to the body and do something. And then what do we do? going to church. Grab my friends, grab your friends. Let's come to the church for what? Not a memorial service, a celebration. And we'll sing all these songs that are already on my Spotify list, Joe's favorite worship service. Those songs change, but they're there. You can choose any of them. And please, you who are still around on that day, sing with all your might, because I'm going to be shouting from heaven louder than all of you. Why? Because saints, when they die, go into the immediate presence of God. And those are the people that he brings back with them when he decides to come back to the earth. Let's keep reading. For the Lord himself, the one who's coming back with other people, will descend from heaven with a cry of a command, with the voice of an archangel, and with the sound of the trumpet of God. And the dead in Christ will rise first, then we who are alive, who are left, will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we will always be with the Lord. Therefore, encourage one another with these words. 
a commanding cry. It was the voice of the Lord that created the heavens and the earth. The Bible says the voice of the Lord parts the waters. The Bible says the voice of the Lord spoke forth at Sinai and the mountain shook. A commanding cry with an archangel crying as well. Is this Jesus, the angel of the Lord, or is this Michael who brings his angel armies with him? And then what do we see? The trumpet sound. In the Old Testament, they would blow that ram's horn, that trumpet, to call God's people to worship. Oh, that's kind of cool. It's like there's part of the church, like two services coming together for one. There's the early service on earth and the later service coming from heaven, and they're meeting in the air, and the trumpet is blowing. It's worship time. The trumpet can also mean it's wartime. Trumpets were blown when someone had to march around Jericho and the walls were getting ready to go down, or you can read in the book of Revelation of what happens when trumpets are blown to those who are enemies of God. And clouds. Jesus talked about the Son of Man ascending and descending on the clouds. Clouds are found in the tabernacle. They're found in the temple. When Elijah went up, he went in a cloud. And the Mount of Transfiguration, a cloud surrounded Peter and James and John and Jesus. He went up in a cloud. He's coming down in a cloud. This is a whole picture of what I might call a Roman V-Day for Victory Day. The Roman general and his army, they would go out and they would conflict and fight and war and bring home the tribute. Someone would hear that the leader is coming back. And the people would exit the city and run outside the gates and kind of meet them halfway there. And there they would sing and dance and celebrate, and place trophies and crowns before the royal monarch or the military man coming back. And they would parade singing their way back into the city. This is the picture that I think Paul and John have as they present this. So what are we to think about those people who believe that and everybody's going to be confused. No. When Jesus comes back again, bringing his own, to gather his own, to collect his own, it's going to be loud. It's going to be proud. There's nothing secret or invisible at all in this text. And notice how the pieces are being put all together. There's the rapture, the parousia, the second coming, there's the day of judgment that you're getting ready to see, the resurrection. This is what's next on the eschatological timeline. Their world is suffering tribulation and it could get greater. The world has lots of antichrists and there could be one world leader coming. The world is in the presence of the king who sits on the throne and the kingdom of heaven is at hand and it's growing like a mustard seed. So we have tribulation growing, kingdom growing, antichrist growing, all together. What's next on the eschatological timeline? Don't read your books, don't read your newspapers. Read your scriptures. This is next. Now some of us aren't gonna make it. Death is next for us. Maybe even for most of us, I don't know. But this is what we are to expect and what we will do is when Jesus comes back with his own on the clouds, with the trumpets, with the angels, there will be what's called the resurrection. When the body and the soul of those who are asleep are put back together, 
Job talked about this when he said, I know my Redeemer lives, and after my skin has been destroyed, yet in my flesh I shall see God. David writes of this in Psalm 16, and Paul makes much of this in 1 Corinthians 15, where he talks about this body that we're going to have. It's going to be like Jesus. That which was perishable is going to become imperishable. That which was not glorious is going to become glorious. And in Philippians chapter 3, it's very simply put, Jesus Christ will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body. So Jesus' body could be touched, it could eat, it could drink, he could talk, and he was recognized. And yet at the same time, it disappeared, it miraculously appeared, he passed through doors, ascended into clouds, and he gloriously shined. This is the body that Christ has, and the scripture says he will transform ours to be like his. Some kind of supernatural body is coming. We read of this in the Apostles' Creed and the Westminster Confession of Faith. It's a miracle. I don't know how this is going to work. But the God who formed man and woman in the Garden of Eden out of the dust of the earth will have no problem putting our particles back together and letting us have our glorious body that he is recreating to be with him forever. And what will we be then? With Jesus in our forever home. David writes, surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Jesus said, I go to prepare a place for you. I will come again and take you to myself, that where I am, you may be also. And in the book of Revelation, it's like the groom coming home for his bride after preparing the place for her. Maybe that's why in Psalms it says, precious in the sight of the Lord is the death of his saints. Jesus loves us. He's married to us. He's betrothed to us. And yes, he's kind of here in his spirit. And his Holy Spirit is here. But his body is on the throne in heaven. But one day, we will see him face to face. And he will be with his bride We'll be delighted, but we won't be the only ones delighted because precious in the eyes of the Lord is the death of his saints. And so where would fear come from? You read your books about being all left behind and all this kind of stuff, and it causes Christians to tremble in fear about the second coming. Are you kidding me? This is payday. This is graduation day. This is wedding day. This is reunion day which is why Paul looks at his people and says, now encourage one another with these words. Yes, there is a ferocious king coming back. In the book of Revelation, his robe is dipped in blood and he's got a sword in his hand. The hand that has the nail prints in it. The hand that knows his elect, his own. The ones that our names are written on his hands, we sing. He's not coming back to go to war with us. He's coming back to rid us of the world, the flesh, and the devil because he loves us so much. So Paul says, encourage one another with these words. He then continues on. Let's read. Now concerning the times and seasons, brothers, you have no need to have anything written to you for you yourselves are fully aware that the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night. You see how he puts all this together? 
resurrection, rising, reunion, meeting in the air, clouds, day of the Lord. It'll come like a thief in the night. While people are saying there is peace and security, then sudden destruction will come upon them as labor pains come upon a pregnant woman, and they will not be escaped. They will not escape. You people already know this, Paul says. You've heard the prophets. I've spoken to you. You don't need to be informed. There's no secret knowledge out there you need to know. What do you already know? The day of the Lord, that's an Old Testament phrase that's used that's talking about when he comes with his might and glory. Not in humiliation. This is when he comes as the exalted king of kings and lord of lords. When he comes... He's coming like a thief in the night. You can't plan on when your house is going to get stolen, uh, stolen from, invaded. But Jesus is coming. You're just not going to know the day. It's unexpected because people are going to be trusting all their political leaders to give them peace and security, whether that's war security or whether that's financial security. And when it comes, it's going to be progressively painful because it's going to like start like the contractions do and it's just going to get bad and it's not going to stop. And no one's going to escape. It's coming universally. This is where the two minutes of bad news comes from. You see, all the good news that I've been talking to you is for those who are in Christ. But in the book of Daniel, he makes it very clear that there's going to be a resurrection of all people. Everybody's getting a new body. In the book of Daniel 12, it says, many, who, and those, many of those who sleep in the dust of the earth shall awake, some to everlasting life, and some to shame and everlasting contempt. Imagine that horrible resurrection. Before him will be gathered all the nations, Matthew writes, and he will separate people one from another as the shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. Do not marvel at this, John writes, for an hour is coming when all who are in the tombs will hear his voice, all, and come out. Those who have done good to the resurrection of life and those who have done evil to the resurrection of judgment. Yes, it is appointed for man to die once, and after that comes judgment, the day of the Lord. Paul continues on. I don't want to lose you as I read this longer section of Scripture. But you are not in darkness, brothers. That day is not supposed to surprise you like a thief, for you are all children of light, children of the day. We are not of the night or of the darkness. So then, let us not sleep as others do, but let us keep awake and be sober. For those who sleep, sleep at night, and those who get drunk are drunk at night. And since we belong to the day, let us be sober, having put on the breastplate of faith and love and a helmet of sal- and for a helmet the hope of salvation. For God has not destined us for wrath, but he has destined us to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ, who died for us, so that whether we are awake or asleep, it doesn't matter. We might live with him. Therefore, smile. Encourage one another and build one another up just as you're doing and live differently. We ask you, brothers, to respect those who labor among you and are over you in the Lord and admonish you to esteem them very highly in love because of their work and be at peace amongst yourselves. We urge you, brothers, admonish the idle, encourage the faint-hearted, help the weak. Now, be patient with all. 
See that no one repays anyone evil for evil, but always seek to do good to one another and to everyone. Rejoice always, pray always, give thanks always, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. Do not quench the Spirit. Do not despise prophecies. Test everything and hold fast to what is good. Abstain from every form of evil. So what do we do while we wait for graduation day? We live differently because we're not those people. Who are those people? Of the night, of the darkness, not brothers, going to be surprised, sleepy, ignorant, insensible, and unconcerned, intoxicated, numb to the truth, and not thinking clearly, destined for wrath. But that's not us. We're not those people. Who are we? We are not of the night, not of the darkness. We are children of light and belonging to the day. We are brothers and sisters destined to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ, the one who died for us. We put on the armor of faith, hope, and salvation. We're saved. We're also at war. And whether we're awake or asleep, we live with Him. But we're not going to sleep right now. We're going to be sober and awake, not intoxicated, encouraging one another, building one another up, respecting and esteeming and loving our plural elders who father, labor, admonish, and work, while not overvaluing them because they don't overvalue themselves as they equip the saints for the work of the ministry. So your job is to keep the peace, admonish the idle, encourage the faint-hearted, and help the weak being patient with everyone, not repaying evil, doing good, always rejoicing, always praying, always giving thanks, not quenching the Spirit, taking prophecies and sermons seriously, but not infallibly, testing all of them, ready to disregard any teaching that supposedly comes from God that doesn't measure up to Scripture, abstaining from any and all forms of evil, This is what we do. And then how does the story end? I've saved my favorite part for last. I may never look at this benediction ever the same way after this week of study. Here's your final text. You ready? Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely. And may your whole spirit and soul and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. He who calls you is faithful. He will surely do it. Who performs? The God of peace. What does he do? He made promises, commitments, covenants. He stood before you and made vows. And he kept them. He is the God who has called us or destined us to obtain salvation. And He is the God who will completely finish His work of sanctification in soul and body. You see, there really are three P's in sanctification that I think are just helpful for you to think through. When you come to know Jesus Christ as your Savior, you are positionally made as righteous as you will ever, ever be. You are blameless and holy, perfect and spotless. And then 
We practice it. We progress in it. We start smelling more like Jesus Christ. We start looking a little bit more like Him, be maybe a little bit more mature in our thinking and our practice. And one day, He who began a good work in us will finish it. And we will be perfect, blameless, entire. Think about what this means for you when you stand before the judgment throne of God and all those stories you've heard about how you may be trembling because they're going to show you the video of your life and you're going to have to give an account for everything you ever did. No, Jesus gave an account for everything that all his people ever did. You're going to be standing there clothed in the righteousness of Christ who perfects you, whole, body, soul, and spirit. There will be no more condemnation for you who are in Christ. You will stand there, and you may for just a moment be a bit sheepish because you realize, I don't deserve to be here. I'm in over my head. And then you're going to see Jesus, who's your advocate and your intercessor, who waves at you with his nail-pierced hands. And you're going to feel that robe of righteousness around you and see the sandals on your feet and the ring that he's given you. And Satan's going to say a word, but he's just going to get interrupted by our defense attorney, Jesus, who says, I bought him and I gave him my righteousness. Jesus is going to finish it. He is going to do it. He is going to do it. Why? We've talked about the who, the God of peace. We've talked about the what, finish the sanctification work. When? At his second coming, by the way, not in this life. Why? Because he's faithful. He always keeps his promises. He will do it. So I end now with three questions. Are you troubled? The awareness of our mortality is increasing. In my life, it's becoming apparent that I am getting older. The hair mass is decreasing. The muscle tone is decreasing. The intellect is decreasing. My number of remaining days are decreasing. The number of wrinkles is increasing. The number of prescriptions is increasing. And I haven't even started to talk about disease criminals, wars, and accidents. The Lord hasn't promised that I'm going to make it to the end of 2024. We all know that. We all sense it. We all fight against that with all of our might for some reason. We've been created in the image of God. We know there's a God. There's some ethic code of right and wrong, and there's got to be some afterlife. We long to be free of pain, to live in love and experience world peace, and we can't wait to be reunited with our loved ones. I have a friend in Florida who lost her son to drug abuse when I was the youth pastor down there, and every now and then you'll just see a Facebook post that this friend makes that she's writing to her beloved son who's no longer here. Just something longs to reach out and just communicate some love. But we're a little bit nervous because we wonder, have we done all that's needed? If you've been going through this gospel series, you know, no, you've not done anything that's needed, and you're never going to do anything that's needed because it's not up to you. The Gospel 101 course is about God who performs for you. But the rest of the world out there, even the religious folk, are engaged in somehow trying to earn God's favor. And a lot of people think they're going to make it to heaven who aren't. 
Because Jesus said, enter by the narrow gate, for a gate is wide and the way is easy that leads to destruction. But the gate is narrow and hard to find that leads to life, and few there are that find it. According to statistics that I looked up, 61 million people died last year. 61 million people are either in the presence of God or excommunicated from the presence of God right now. Their bodies are in the earth, but their souls are somewhere. 167,000 people are going to die today. All who practice no faith awaken in hell. And all who practice false faith awaken in hell, regardless of their intentions. You can say, I'm narrow and legalistic. This is what your Bible says. And Andy, Randy Alcorn in his book called Heaven says, for every one person in a study that believes they're hellbound, 120 people believe they're going to heaven. I guess Jesus may be right that there are going to be people who think they're on the path to paradise, who found themse- find themselves in hell. Are you concerned? Do you not know where you stand? I have nothing but good news for you today. Nothing. You don't have to join the church. You don't have to be baptized. You don't have to take the Lord's Supper. You don't have to do any good works. You don't have to be faithful. You have to receive the gift. And the way you receive the gift is to repent and believe. As we talked about, you turn from yourself, you turn from your sin, you turn from your idols, and on the inside you look into the face of Him who offers salvation and says, come to me, anyone who wants it, and I will give you rest. I will give you rest. And if you find yourself now concerned and saying, I want Jesus to be my Lord, I want Him to be my Savior, I want Him to be my friend, I want Him to be my groom, today is the day of salvation for you. And after the service, I can't wait to pray with you. Just come on up. I don't bite. I smile a lot. And it's only really good news. We don't have to talk about all your sins. We can just talk to Jesus, confess our sins to Him, and enjoy the fact that you were once lost, and now you're found. No one here needs to leave concerned, except the people that would thumb their noses up at the gospel offer. Two more questions. So, are you motivated to die differently? Let's die with style. I mean, how do you get to the point where for me to live is Christ, to die is gain, and I'm ready to go, baby. Sign me up. Who's here ready for that? Oh, there's a few of you. I don't know what's wrong with us that we're not ready to go but it betrays that we really think this earth is worth holding on to and that that's not better. But Paul was very clear. It's far better. That last chapter is going to be so good that that's where he would like to be. So we know that neither death nor life nor angels nor rulers nor things present or to come will ever separate us from the life of God. We know that we get to dwell in the house of the Lord forever. We know that Jesus is preparing a place for us. We know that Paul writes about seeing things in heaven that he's not even allowed to write about in the Bible. Oh, death, where is your victory? Oh, death, where is your sting? I would rather be away from the body and at home with the Lord, Paul says. No more tears. 
No more sin. No more body aches. No more bad neighbors. No more addictions. No more fighting to make it. No more thorns and thistles. Only paradise. What are we doing when we mourn like the world? What are we doing when we grieve as those without hope? We're saying, we just really don't believe it's that good. I want that to stop in my life. I want to die better. So since I'm already dying, wearing out, heading in that direction, I don't know how many days the Lord has for me. I want to die with style. And until then, the third question, I want to live differently. For me to live is Christ. I want to gather like this and practice heaven. I do. I want to wipe away tears while I'm singing, not of sorrow or fear, but of just incredible joy. I want to be with brothers and sisters every Sunday and practice heaven. And I want to repent. I want to have no holy thing that goes on in my life without me thinking through it and talking with Jesus about it and avoiding any part of evil. I want to live differently. I want to seek first the kingdom of God. I want to pass on the temptations of Satan as he shows up and offers me Esau's stew if I will betray my birthright. I am not going to believe the prosperity theology junk that I find on the internet or on the television that tells me that God wants me to be healthy, happy, and prosperous on this lot, in this earth. He doesn't necessarily, but he does in the next life. For me to live is Christ, to die is gain, but for me to live is Christ. And one more thing Christ would do if he were living that he wants me to do, and that is to be evangelistic. He really does tell me that he who wins souls is wise. And I know we've used words like destined and predestined and all that kind of stuff. It's in the same Bible that tells me to throw out that seed. So it here, so it there, become all things to all men that by some means we might be able to reach some. Oh, how I want to see more and more people come to know Jesus Christ as their Savior, never compromising, never flirting with sin. But oh, how I want to see it happen. Because today, 167,000 people are going to perish. I don't know what the statistics are in Greenville County. I hope God gives us an opportunity to share Christ with more of those and to let us see more of those people who are going to perish this year in 2023 call on Christ so that we can rejoice with them and practice heaven together before they see His face.